Well, welcome back to Eden Chapel Daily Devotions. We are in day 40, and what a blessing this has been to go through God's Word together. I'm Sam Mitchell, and we, quite frankly, have a ton to cover in our two chapters today. So we are in Leviticus chapters 24 and 25, and we're just going to dive straight in. And so we see in this first part of chapter 24 Uh, these commands to the people of Israel and specifically to priests of what they are to do to the tabernacle lamps and to the tabernacle bread. And if you can think back to Exodus 25, we saw all those intricate details of kind of how it was to be cared for and how it was to be made and everything. And so we get this command here from Moses, through from the Lord through Moses, that says, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Keyword there. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. And so we get this picture of this continual light that will always be in the tabernacle through the lampstands. And so... Uh, we see this just beautiful picture that there will always be a light that God didn't want his tabernacle to be left in darkness. And as we know that God is light and that, uh, we are also, we know from Matthew five, the light of the world that we are shining the light in the darkness through Jesus Christ. And this beautiful picture right here of the tabernacle pointing to the coming Messiah. Jesus never stopped being the light of the world. And so we see this beautiful picture of God doesn't want his tabernacle left in darkness. So we get to verse five and we get these specific instructions for what to do with the bread for the tabernacle, which once again, we can look to Exodus 25 and see these intricate uh, instructions for what to do with the bread and the way they would be arranged on the table of showbread. But here I really want us to zoom in and really get to see our the goodness of our God and how he wants a continual relationship with his people uh, through this and what this is pointing us to. It, it says in verse 7, And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. That's that word that we pointed to earlier. It is from this, the people of Israel, as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offering. And so we see that picture that God wants this ordered relationship with his people, but God wants this continual relationship with his people over and like He wants it each and every Sabbath to Go before them, this continual covenant that will remain forever, a reminder of it. But also, we, we see that Aaron and his son shall eat it in a holy place. The bread's not only just for display in a ritual. God wanted the people of God to receive this and to enjoy it and to be nourished by it, and which is just such an amazing symbolization of our relationship and fellowship with God and how we are nourished by Him and how we are get to receive it with joy. And so we continue on and we get into what can probably be a little bit hard to read, but we 
Read on in verse 10. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. And so we see there's this man whose father was an Egyptian and uh, mother was an Israelite. And so half Egyptian, Egyptian, half Hebrew. And he gets into this fight with another man and in the camp. And what happens? He blasphemes God which there was a command in Exodus 22 that all Israelites would have been aware of that says in verse 28 of Exodus 22, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. And so we see here that he has broken this command by God. And so they put him into custody and uh, they take him before Moses. And it says they brought him to Moses. And so we know from scripture what a big crucial deal this i mean a shameless plug to pastor aaron's uh mark three message uh just encourage you all to go listen to that where he speaks on not blaspheming against the holy spirit and whoever blasphemes against them can never have forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin and so uh i really encourage you all to go listen to that but we know from what we have seen how holy and amazing our God is and how great and awesome his name is. And so to blaspheme against that is obviously a huge deal. So we see God give a command in verse 13. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. And so, like I said, at first glance, you can go, wow, this is kind of brutal. But, man, we see how crucial and holy the name of our God is. And so there's some big things in here by laying their hands upon their head, on his head. They're giving the public testimony that they heard this man speak those words and are giving a demand of justice to be upon him and to let the congregation stone him. God commanded this execution by stoning for a couple reasons, you know. First, you know, stones are, there's plenty of them, right? Like we have tons of them. But more importantly, it was so that the community could participate in this execution. This was both a strong warning and a way of saying, this man has not only sinned against God, but he has sinned against the whole community. And so we see that in verse uh, 15 and 16, that God lays out the, the warnings, right? Whoever curses God's name, whoever blasphemes against him shall bear his sin. Uh, the person who curses God publicly uh, bears the responsibility for the judgment against him. And whoever's blaspheming the name of the Lord shall be surely put to death. This was a serious crime. It is here that we see how just our God is. It's, it's here that we see him show us that crimes must be punished. You know, it continues on. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal life shall 
make shall oh, sorry whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it it shall be done to him fracture for fracture eye for eye tooth for tooth whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him and so you know this is very popular right like we all know these verses but we see the goodness of god and his perfect and holy justice you know in the context of this penalty for the Egyptian blasphemer, God gives us a great principle of his justice. Crimes must be punished, right? Sin must be punished. But here he says in the context of what we're living in on this earth, crimes must be punished, but in proportion appropriate to the crime. You know, he says here, if whoever kills any man, he shall be put to death. You know, if you took someone's life, it's your life that should be lost. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good. And so we see make it good could mean a bunch of things with money or with a replacement of an animal. But this showed, again, a difference between this human life and animal life. But it shows the different ways that God is saying to make up for the crime. And it's here that we get those famous words that we know, right? Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And we're all like so ready. Yeah, like pay them back exactly what they deserve. Get them, you know. But instead of this being, hey, what they did to you, do exactly to them. God really intends it as a limit. So no man or judge would set judgment just merely as they please. So someone couldn't do one thing and then all of a sudden you demand more from him in return. But uh, here we see, no, it is an eye for an eye. And it didn't literally mean that if a guy gouged out of his head and took the eye of another man, that the guy would go back and take that guy's eye. But like we saw in Exodus 21, if a slave loses an eye, then the person who is responsible for that eye being lost isn't to have his plucked out, but rather the slave is to be given his freedom as compensation for the eye. So we end chapter 24 with the Israelites doing as God had commanded them. It says they took him outside the camp, the one who had cursed God, and they stoned him with stones. And it's ends it. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. And so here we see something very crucial. The people of Israelite, the people of Israel obeying what God had told them to do, even when it's difficult. And so I really have to hurry up for one, but we get into chapter 25 and we see this mention of the Sabbath year and then the year of Jubilee. And there's tons that can be said about this, but For sake of time, we will really hit some high points of it. But we see chapter 25 starts like this. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, and how crucial that is for what we see of the year of Jubilee and what we see of the year of Sabbath and how crucial it is that Israel understands that this land has been given to them by God, that this was what they had been promised, but they need to understand when they get into the promised land that this was given to them by God. 
And so it says, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. When when they go into the land that they that God has given to them, they shall keep a Sabbath for the Lord. And so we get the details of what exactly this is, that it'd be six years of uh, sowing and pruning and doing all these things to keep the land. But in the seventh year, the it shall be a solemn rest for the Lord, that the Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. And so really what this is declaring and what this is saying for the Israelites is that we have trust in God, that he will provide, that this land is from him, and we are trusting that he will provide and meet our needs. This is truly, to a great extent, living by faith. And God wanted his people living by faith, trusting him. And so it's this amazing demonstration of faith in God. But then we get to this year of Jubilee. And if you've ever really kind of struggled, I'll let you all read it on your own. But to go, what exactly is the year of Jubilee? Well, it's something like a double Sabbath year in the sense that crops were not planted again. You know, vines were not pruned again. There's a second year of rest uh, for the land that is God's. And so we see everything that's listed out and what they are to do in the year of Jubilee. But we see in verse 18, it says, therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. If, and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not grow or gather in our crops, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year. So they'll produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crops arrive. And so we see once again this amazing declaration of faith in God and trusting in Him. And we see exactly what God will do, right? Like what it declares here in in verses 18 through 22, that God will bring His blessing on them in the sixth year to provide so greatly, not only in the sixth and in the seventh, but in the eighth year, in this year of Jubilee, that God will bring His blessing upon His people, if we obey God, even when it seems like it makes no sense, like God, how, you know, you command us to work the field, how is, how is it going to produce if we don't? We can trust he will provide our every need. You know, we can look here and know if we, as believers, if we seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, all practical things are provided for us, right? And so we can see this amazing thing, but I don't want us to miss these next couple of verses. I, I think they're so beautiful. All right, it says, The land shall not be sold, for the land is mine. Once again, this idea that God is over it all, God is in control of it all, and this land belongs to him. That's what this is declaring. It's what it's trusting. And so, uh, but then he declares these words. It says, For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow redemption of the land. And so we see this idea of, that is often mentioned in the New Testament, you know, First Peter 2, Hebrews 11, that we are pilgrims, that we are strangers, that we are sojourners, that this world is not our home, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are bound for glory, that our real home is with God. And what, what an amazing picture to Christ and what we have been given through him that our 
you know, whole identity has been changed when we are with him, that our citizenship is with him and in heaven. So we can trust in this world that we can give it all to God, knowing he will provide. Then to end chapter 25, we get these specific instructions on being kind to the poor man. And we we see in verse 38, this reminder all right, that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And so God reminding how gracious he has been to uh, to us, but in this case, to the Israelites, that he has brought them out of slavery in Egypt when they were nothing, when they were poor. And so this reminder of that, when your brother is poor, you shall help, you shall be with them, you shall bear their burdens with them, you shall Come beside them and help them. You shall be gracious to them. In the same way, those who had to sell themselves to strangers or to sojourners or to foreigners, God lays out specific instructions for how they can be redeemed, either through themselves and what they would pay or through a kinsman who would pay for them. But then he ends this time in a reminder for It is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants who I brought out of of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God's care for Israel and their redemption was based on this idea that they were first servants to the Lord, to the Lord their God. And so I know that is a ton today, and I know I went way over any time that I'm supposed to. But I pray that We just remember how good and holy and just and gracious our God has been to us and that we would have the trust that the Israelites have in him. Thank you all for listening in today. And I can't wait to continue to grow together through these devotions.